0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. I had not planned tonight to preach. on uh, Because of the wedding yesterday, I knew that it was going to be a busy week, and we'd be very tired, and so I had scheduled Cody to preach tonight, and that was before we knew he was going up to uh, wherever he went, Orangeville. And uh, so uh, but about a month ago, four weeks ago, we had a conference here at the church. We had a Canadian pastors meet here, an American pastors meet in Michigan, and uh, it was about church planting, and there was a challenge that went forth Uh, during that meeting and it really got me under conviction and uh, one of the preachers was was preaching about developing uh, more preachers developing more people to share the gospel and he said you have to give your men a chance you have to give them opportunity to preach and right away my heart began to think wow you know we we allow the guys that have been trained the guys that are on staff to preach once in a while and uh, it's a blessing and uh But at that moment, the Lord pricked my heart, and I knew that God had been working on somebody and and dealing with them about preaching and such. And so I leaned over to him, and I said, how would you like to preach on October 11th? And he stared at me and would not answer. But later on that day, he said, I will. And so I'm going to ask Brother Judge if he would come tonight. God has been working on his heart about preaching, and uh, God has given him a message. And he's shared those thoughts with me a couple times, and I just felt... That day that the Lord said, you need to give somebody an opportunity. So, Brother Judge, you come and preach us from the Word of God.
1: Well, Happy Thanksgiving. Most people say it's a pleasure to be here with you tonight, but I don't have that emotion. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not the one that's filling me right now. So. Uh, but if some of you can pray, uh, pray me through this. That would be great. Uh, Turn in your Bible, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. It was a blessing this past weekend. Uh, I think Pastor did an excellent job as maid of honor on Team Emily. Um, He can make an excellent wedding planner if anybody needs, uh, um, from decorations through invitations. Just drove all of us crazy, that's all, so... um, So Exodus chapter 3, and if you're able to, uh, I would appreciate if we could stand for the reading of God's word uh, tonight. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shall ye say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations let's open in prayer. Father, I need your help tonight. I just pray that you might fill me. You might use me. Uh, I surrender completely to you, Lord. I just pray you might fill me. Give me the words to say. Take away those that I'm not to say, Lord. And I just pray that your word would go forth and be a blessing and help us to learn something tonight. In your name, I love you. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. A couple of years ago, pastor played and found a video for us titled, He Is, and many have probably have seen it. Um, I don't think we've had a chance this year to play it. Um, it's such a well-done video, and it goes right from Genesis through Revelation, and it just pulls out all the names of God that are used in Scripture, and the titles and attributes, and it's just really, really well done. Um, I'm here a lot, and I'm here a lot by myself. So there are times that I get to pull it out, and I get to play it. Um, I might be working on other things, but I get to play it on the screens. I play it a little bit louder than what I do when there's people in here, Um, but it is a moving video. And I just appreciated all of the attributes and all the names of God that are in it. But it also started to convict me that there are so many of those names and attributes and qualities of God that I wasn't that familiar with and I don't I didn't have a sense for where they were in scripture. And it just got me studying last year and I think it was last spring or the fall previous that we were in California and I actually was able to purchase a Name of God Bible. And it just helped me to see where all the different names of God and our King James is the preserved word of God. Our English language is a poor language for translating from Hebrew. Hebrew is such a rich language, and we miss so many of the definitions because, frankly, we're lazy in our Bible reading. We're lazy in our Bible study, and we don't seek out what the definitions are. We miss so many things when we're reading Scripture and because we're not paying attention. So this video just stirred my heart and it convicted me to dig just that little bit deeper to see what God has and how those attributes. And as we reach different stages of our lives, we go through valleys, we'll go through peaks. He has a name. He has an attribute. He has something that can help us through each of those, whether we're in the depths of sorrow or whether we're battling uh, sickness, there is something that he has. There is an attribute God's love is abundant. He's everything that we need, but we just need to search out that and seek that. Some authors in my reading have suggested that there is well over a thousand different names, attributes, and titles in the word of God. You know, most of us would struggle to come up with five or six of them. We are missing the big picture, and we are missing so many attributes, what God has for us. You might ask, why does God have so many names? Just as white light is made up of seven different rays of color, God is made up of different attributes, and they're all illuminated by a different name. And just like we can study those different colors and we can use those different colors that make up that white light, we can also examine each of God's attributes individually, how he is our healer, how he's our protector. He's my comforter. And we can study those attributes, but put together, those seven hues of color become the white light. And you can no longer see those individual colors with your naked eye. You need an instrument to be able to identify them. And that's what all the names of God put together would become like that white light. Why should we study the names of God? You know, we come to better understand people by their names and their titles. If you think of David, he wrote the book of Psalms. And we each go to the book of Psalms for something different that we need. And so many of those passages are written by David. And David was a man after God's own heart. But the scripture in Psalms, it helps us to understand what David's writing. When we look at his character, he's a shepherd. He was a warrior. He was a king, he was a poet, he was a musician. And we use each of those aspects of his life as we're reading through the Psalms. It illuminates a little bit more as to the integrity of David and and what his nature was and those times of his life where he was writing those and how we can apply that to our life. It just gives us that much more insight into David as the man. So similarly, studying God's name, It reveals his character to us more intimately. You know, there is a writer that wrote that God is waiting to be wanted. And that's what we need to be studying, is intimately studying what makes God who he is. You know, we know some names, creator, he's judge, he's my savior, I was thinking this morning, because I knew I was speaking on this tonight, even we will remember in all the names of God that are just in that song alone, and how he works through our lives. So by studying his names, we can get insight into his nature, and we can understand about more how he's going to work in me, but more importantly, through me. Can you imagine two people knowing one another and loving one another without knowing their name? It just defies logic. Without knowing their name, you can't possibly know their character. You can't possibly know who they are. Somehow, our names become intertwined with our character and our personality. Um, I was thinking, you know... It's said that when you're trying, there's lots of times, I'm not very good of a name sometimes, and I'll be trying to think of who that person is and that name, and my wife will just start listing off names. No, no, that's not him. He can't be, you know, a Rob or a Bill. It just doesn't suit his character. That's not who he is. But, you know, if I said a name like Kevin Norris, you already know what the personality is because that name has, there's a character. Yeah, there's a character. Um, and personality involved with that name. Uh, we associate the name with a character trait and with a personality. And you almost apply that to all those different names that you know. That is no less true with our relationship to God. Yet many of us have not taken that time to get to know him intimately, to get to know his names. And he has so many in scripture, and yet we just gloss over them. And we check-mark our box that we've done our Bible reading for the day, but we haven't intimately gotten to know who God is. So I have a question for you. If you were to close your eyes and just ponder what your innermost thoughts are and what you think of when you think about God, you know what comes to your mind. And it's not what you read, not what you want somebody else to think you want to know, but what comes to your mind about who God is. And I warned Pastor Paul was going to ask him, but he didn't know what the question was. Do you have one for us, Pastor Paul, who God is? Healer Healer of the broken heart. Pastor? Redeemer. Redeemer. Those are both excellent characters of God. I would argue that how you've answered that question to yourself will define you. We've all heard probably somebody say, I can't believe in a God who, and then, you know, fill in whatever answer it is, you know, a child dies in a fire, you know, a child gets sick and is suffering. They'll sometimes say it for wars and, and famines, and there's all sorts of things. I can't believe in a God who would do this. How much pride does it take in our life that we think that our feelings are an accurate barometer? of who God is. And that's our pride in our life. We think that we get to define who God is. And we can't do that. A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if I was to say that another way, what you think about God will shape the destiny of your life. If you don't have that fear of God. If you just think God is just love, it will cause you to react differently in circumstances than if you were to go through life knowing how holy God is. If you were to fear God and his holiness, if you're in a worship state, you would live your life differently than just if you only know the love part of God. It takes all of those character traits as to how to shape the life and how you're going to lead. You know, so many people try to define God to be able to fit them into their lives. that's how they're going to define God because it fits inside the box of my definition. We tend to live our lives thinking that God is for everything that I like and he's against everything that I don't like. Uh, God approves of how I'm living my life, but he doesn't approve of how that person's living their life. God likes those people that I'm for, and God does not like those people that I'm against. But that's why most Christians' prayer life consists of bless our food, bless our day, bless our pastor, bless our missionaries. Amen. And that's the depth of their prayer life and the relationship that they have with the Lord. That's as far into the water as they are willing to go with their life. And they have defined God and placed God in that box Instead of earnestly seeking who God is, we desperately need to seek out God for who He is. We need to see Him for who He is. You know, if we could just get a glimpse, like the prophet Isaiah, of who God is Isaiah 6, when it speaks about high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. And you know, woe is me, unclean lips. And then if you go ahead to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9, O Jerusalem, behold your God. If we could get just a little glimpse of that and how we live our lives, it would change our worship. It would change our prayer life. It would change, I would suggest, the whole trajectory of our life if we could just get a tiny glimpse of that God of who he is. Who God is has profound implications for who I am. If we look back at the verses that we read tonight to open here in Isaiah, um, we need to get some historical context around what Moses is asking and where the children of Israel is. Um, Because all of Exodus, we have to... And we're going to be jumping from Exodus 3 to Exodus 33, so keep your fingers in your Bible as we jump back and forth. But it's important that we get context of where we are. You know, Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years. Later on in Scripture, it says that they were in bondage for 400, well, not bondage, but they were in Egypt for 430 years. But there's gaps in the Scripture. Scripture doesn't talk about anything that occurred in those 430 years. Genesis chapter 50 has Jacob dying, and it has Joseph dying. Exodus chapter 1 is 400 years later with uh, um, Moses, and there's a big gap there. They knew that they were the chosen people of God, but over all this time, they never knew who God was. They knew that he was God of their fathers. They knew he was God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. But they did not have a personal relationship with their own God. It was always the God of their father. They were oppressed people. You know, we think that today's day and age, we're under a semi-lockdown. Our lives aren't anything normal, and we think we're oppressed we don't know what oppressed is. These children of Israel were physically oppressed. I can't imagine having to live like they were living, um, constantly being beaten. And not only that, but they didn't have the Word of God. They had no scripture that they could go back for comfort. There was nothing, there was nothing written. Moses didn't write Genesis through Deuteronomy until many years later when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Um, that he wrote the scripture. So they had no word of God. It was just what was handed down through them for generations. It would be like, Mr. Lipsky, you're looking back into the 1600s to see what your fathers, your forefathers worshipped. And that's what the basis of our worship is on today. 1600 years ago, I couldn't even tell you any names. And it was just a long time ago for them. So they were oppressed physically. They had nowhere to go and worship. There was no temple, there was no tabernacle. The offerings weren't instituted yet. They had nowhere to go for comfort. They were also oppressed spiritually. Egypt was full of gods. And Egypt had their own priests. They had their places to go and worship. They had many gods in Egypt. So they were surrounded by spiritual warfare. So they were oppressed physically, and they were oppressed spiritually. You know, in Sunday school, when I was growing up, and I heard all the stories about the Israelites and how they never, ever trusted, you know, God did these miracles, they would go so far, and then they would fail. And then they would go so far after another miracle, and they would fail. And I always struggled to understand, why couldn't they just trust? It seemed like they could never go forward without a further revelation. But as i got gotten older, I realized that's where we are today. We're thankful for the miracles, and then we get stuck. We might have big miracles in our life, and we get stuck. I need another revelation, God, before I can move forward. And we get stuck in our Christian life. But the children of Israel never knew who God was. He was their God of their fathers. It was hard to trust something that they did not have even a name for. God is just a title. God is Elohim, creator God. But there were as many gods that were being worshipped. So they did not have a personal name. They did not know who God was. So as I've studied through this and realized that God just wasn't personal to them, uh, without a personal relationship with God, that led them very easily to complain. And complaining will always lead to bitterness, and that's where we are as a people ourselves. Without that personal close relationship with the Lord, very quickly it leads to complaining. And a complaining spirit always will lead to bitterness. And bitterness is a sin and a root that is just so difficult to pull out. So in order to dive deeper into who God is, we actually need to spend a couple of minutes looking at the relationship between the Hebrew and the English translations and how they were written. So I do need you to turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 7. Is it always this warm up here, Pastor? (laughs) Exodus 20 and verse 7, the 10 commandments are being given to Moses up on the mount. And it's this one particular commandment that I want to look at. And it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This verse literally shapes how our King James Version of the Holy Bible was written. If I was to put in the Hebrew text, and I'm going to put it on the screens here, and I'll read it again. You read along your Bible, but now I'm going to read, putting in the Hebrew text and the, word, the names of God. Thou shalt not take the name of Yahweh, thy Elohim, in vain. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Yahweh is the personal name of God. So God has a name. So after the Ten Commandments were given out, and over the course of generations, this verse scared the Jews and the Hebrews that they stopped saying the name Yahweh. They grew so scared of accidentally breaking this covenant that they just stopped saying the name altogether. Instead, they would call them other names. They would say the name or the holy name and the unutterable name. And actually, if you're on the internet even today and you pull up any Uh, Hebrew studies or anything on Israel you'll see a lot of times where they have G and then the O is crossed off and the letter D because they do not want to write the name of God out So, but the most common name that they used was Adonai and that's a Hebrew word meaning Lord in the ancient east this is what a servant would call his master Adonai So they used that title for God. So over time, Yahweh was only ever pronounced by the priests, and it was only pronounced in the temple. And outside the temple, they would use the word Adonai. And then the high priests also mentioned the name Yahweh on the Day of Atonement, and they would say it 10 times so that they would not lose the pronunciation. Then after the destruction of the temple, after Jesus died on the cross and went to heaven in AD 70, The temple was destroyed, and then in A.D. 132, Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Jews scattered, and the name was lost. The name Yahweh was then rendered Jehovah in the Middle Ages, mainly because of the Latin language and the German influence. And that is the name that's enshrined in the King James Bible as Jehovah. But if you actually look at what the meaning of Jehovah is, it's Yahweh. So the personal name of God is Yahweh. So in your Bibles tonight that you have, when you see all capital letters, capital L, all big capitals, that is referencing, uh, I'm sorry, all big capital letters, Lord, that is the personal name of God that is translated Yahweh. And then when you see a capital L and smaller letters, that is actually being translated as Adonai. But the problem with using Lord in place of Yahweh is that Lord is just a title. It's not a personal name. It would be similar to me calling Judy the wife all the time, even around her. I don't call her by that title. Well, frankly, I don't call her by that title because I would be covered in bruises standing up here uh, tonight if I was to say, wife, where's my dinner? Or wife, I need this. Uh, That would not fly very well. But I don't call her wife because I'm in a close relationship with her. What you call somebody says a lot about your relationship with that person. To my wife, I'm Hun. Well, not every day. Um, sometimes I get called, what were you thinking? You can't be serious. And the most frequent one used is, are you crazy? Um, that's my more personal name that she calls me. Um, but my wife calls me Hun. But if I was to go to the car dealership for service, I'm Mr. Judge. My kids, they call me Dad. But if I'm at line in the bank... And talking to the bank teller, sometimes I'm called sir. There's a different relationship there based on what uh, they call us. So it's very important that we remember how important names were in the Old Testament. You know, think of Abraham. He wasn't known as Abraham when we first see. He's Abram. And then later on, God made a covenant with him. And change his name to Abraham. And that meant father of many nations. There's also Jacob. Jacob was born as the twin of Esau. And he was holding on to his heel. And so Jacob means heel grabber. But it also references Jacob's character. Because he was a cheat. He was a scoundrel. He cut corners. And that's, it was the connotation. That was his nature. And that's what names in the Old Testament meant. And it wasn't until Jacob wrestled with God that God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means wrestles with God. And names were significant. There was an Old Testament scholar that I was reading about, and he said, in the world of Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. So now we need to picture our text tonight of Exodus 3. Moses is standing at the burning bush. God has asked him to go back and to demand to Pharaoh that he let his people go. And he's supposed to lead these three million Jews out of Egypt. And he's not sure who God is. There's a burning bush in front of him. It's not being consumed. And his question to God is, what do I say? Who sent me? He's wanting to know, what is your name? What makes you God? He wants to know the definition of his character. And then while he's standing there at the burning bush, God answers him. Can you imagine Standing there, that God is now revealing for the first time His name in Scripture, while the bush is burning and God speaking to Him, and He says, "I am that I am." Or if you're to look in, in Hebrew, it's "Aweh Asher Away." and that's what's on the screen right now. "I am that I am." Now, up until last year, I've always struggled to know what does that mean. And I'm not sure that it was any clearer to Moses standing here in front of the burning bush. He got a name, but he didn't get a definition. And we're going to see that a little bit later. All he got was God's name. He didn't know what it meant. So he still didn't get to know who who, or what God is. We're going to look at that definition in a few minutes as we go on. But I've heard people describe I am that I am by saying that God is whatever you need him to be. But that definition can't be right because then that is us defining God. God can define himself for himself. And the best definition I have found is whatever I am, I will be. If God is gracious, he is gracious all the time. If he's merciful, he is merciful all the time. Whatever I am, I will be. Too often we are trying to fit God into our own definition and to make him fit in our lives. So we talked about earlier how God's name was Yahweh, but here he says that it's Away. So which one is the right name? And this really struck me when I found out uh, through my study, Yahweh is from the exact same root word as Aweh, but Aweh is in the first person, and Yahweh is in the third person. And if you say those names to yourself, you can see how similar they are. So what that means is that Awe is I am. Yahweh means He is. So when God says His name, it's Aweh. When we say God's name, it's Yahweh. They're the same meaning. And just think about when Jesus Christ in the New Testament said, John, I can't think of the chapter now, but before Abraham was, I am. That's the same word here, Aweh. He's declaring Himself as God almighty. That's who Christ is. And it's how it ties all of the scripture together. So now we're going to look at how does all this fit together? God's name, God's character. So we're going to jump ahead in our scripture to Exodus 33. So it's very important in Exodus that we understand always where we are in the timeline. It's very difficult to just go and study a chapter in Exodus without understanding how all the pieces fit together. Leading up to this chapter, all the way from chapter 20 through 32, Moses is up in the mountain with God. He's getting all the instructions for altar, for the tabernacle, for how they're going to worship, how the sacrifices are going to happen. And in Exodus 32 the people are not sure that Moses is ever coming back and so they need a new god and they convince Aaron to make the calf. God is furious with his people. And if you want to study how do I pray? You look at Exodus 33 and you can structure your prayer life after that of begging God to change his mind. God is waiting to be wanted. But God is furious, and he says he's going to destroy the Israelites and make a new nation out of Moses. And Moses talks him out of it. And God says God repented and relented. And then he said, I'm not going to go with you, but I will send you into the land. I will send an angel ahead of you, but I'm not going to go with you. That did not satisfy Moses. And he pleaded with God that to go with him. And that's what Exodus 33 says is all about. So I want to start reading in verse 11 of chapter 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people, and go not with me, carry us up not hence. I'm sorry, I skipped. The lights are bright up here. (laughs) And consider this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto them, if thy presence go not with me, carry us up not hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. So I'd like to focus just on that last verse there. Where Moses is asking to see God's glory. So now we need to flip back to the beginning of Exodus and Exodus chapter 6. So, Exodus chapter 6, and I want to read verses 2 and verse 3. Starting in verse 2 And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. That is Yahweh. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. That's the covenant name of God. But by my name, Jehovah, which is Yahweh, was I not known to them. So God had kept his name from Abraham, he kept it from Isaac, and he kept it from Jacob and from all the children of Israel. Now, I don't know whether they knew his name and just didn't know a definition. Moses wrote all the books of the Bible, so whether he filled in the name of the Lord, because it is used previously in Genesis and Exodus, uh, I don't know if Moses just filled it in or whether they knew the name and just had no clue what it meant. It's just that this verse says that they knew not the name of, of God. So now if we go back to Exodus 33... And I want to look at verse 13, just that one phrase where Moses is asking God, show me now thy way that I may know thee. And then if we jump back down to verse 18, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord, which is Yahweh, before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord, Yahweh, said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So God here is telling Moses that he is going to reveal the meaning of his name, and what makes God, God. So the verses we're about to read are the most quoted scripture in all of scripture. And that means that the scripture in Exodus chapter 34, verses five and six, are found all through scripture. Psalms, you can find it in the New Testament. You have to dig a little bit harder in the New Testament because they translated from Hebrew to the Aramaic and the Greek And then we're translated English, but it is all there. Jesus references Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6. This scripture is the most quoted scripture in all of scripture. When we define God, we use terms like omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all powerful, but those are not the name, and those are all correct. And those are what makes God, God. But those are not the most important things to God because that's not how he describes himself. When God describes himself, he starts with his name. And that's what we sang about tonight was his name. And then he describes his character with a list of attributes that make him God. So remember in the Old Testament, names described what a person's character was. And I also believe that the order of those attributes are important. God did not use words in Scripture just to fill in spaces and to make it longer. Every word was important, and the order of those words were, was important. So Moses is not only about to see God's glory, but for the first time in history, he's going to see what is God. So let's read Exodus 34, verses 5 through 9. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, which is Yahweh, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, Transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If I now have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for thine inheritance. Do you see that the very first thing that Moses did when he learned what made God God was that first he worshiped, but he didn't stay there. The very next action that he did was that he wanted to go, and he wanted God to go with him, and it spurred him to action he got to see what the true essence of God was. I only have a few minutes left tonight but I like to look at a couple of these attributes and when you look at them in the Hebrew our language language changes the words backwards and back and forth throughout scripture and we kind of lose how it points back to these scriptures. So I want to look at a little bit of the Hebrew that's associated with them. Um, So I'm going to skip over long-suffering, but we're going to start with the first two. And that's merciful and gracious. And if you were to look at them in the Hebrew, it's Rahim, we, Hanum, is merciful and gracious. And that's what they call a word pair in Hebrew. And that means not only do they sound alike, but they are side-by-side to help explain each other. Rahim, which is merciful... It also means compassionate. It's a root word meaning female womb. And you will find it when the two ladies came to the King Solomon. And they had the child. Uh, One had died. And there was one that was living. And Solomon said, we'll split it in two. And give one half to each mother. And the real mother said uh, that her, the scripture tells us that her bowels yearned upon her son. Well the word bowels there is raham. It is the exact same word as merciful here in Exodus. That means that God has feelings towards us, the same as a parent towards its child. I'd like us to look real quick if we can at Psalms 103. And if you start looking for these verses in your Bible reading, they just pop out to you. And I like to start reading in verse 8. So Psalms 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Can you see it already? He's quoting Exodus 34. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That word pitieth in Psalms is Rehum. It is the exact same word in Exodus 34. And that's God's feelings towards us. The same as a parent, the same as a father for their children. So Rehum is a feeling word. Gracious is hanum. They sound similar, they support one another, but gracious is an action word. So not only does God have feelings toward us the same as a parent does towards their children, he's spurned to action. He's gracious. It's an action word. He wants to come and help us. He yearns to help us. And that's what those words mean. If we looked at goodness and truth, I'm going to skip over long-suffering because it would take us a while. There's a couple of stories with long-suffering that you can find in Scripture uh, to support it. So I'm going to skip over that one. Uh, for time's sake but if we were to look at goodness and truth goodness is the word in Hebrew of hesed and there is really no equivalent in the English language there was a scholar of Hebrew that I found uh, Daniel Block and he wrote this the Hebrew word hesed cannot be translated with one English word and I really liked what he said this is a covenant term Wrapping up in itself all of the positive attributes of God in one word. And that's what hesed is. It's goodness. It's mercy. There's another definition called unfailing love. If That really describes who our God is. Mercy, loving kindness. And then if we were to look at truth, truth is emet in Hebrew. And it means faithfulness. Can you start to see how when you get a little bit deeper into what these words mean, and faithfulness, goodness, mercy, how you can find them all throughout scripture. So these two words work together, and they define one another. And so you can simply say that God's love is his faithfulness. God's faithfulness is his love. God is so much more than we will ever need He's more abundant than any of our needs or desires can be. His love for us overwhelms me, and it is overwhelming for each of you. Tonight, we didn't even get to the greatest name that God has, and that's Father. When Jesus came to earth, we got introduced to God himself as Father. Moses, Abraham the Old Testament greats, they never had that privilege of calling God Father. What a privilege that is. I am a joint heir to the greatest inheritance that man could ever have because I get to call him Father. So as pastor comes to close the service, if you were to take the title of the message, he is. And now apply it as a question to your own life and to your own study. What is he to you? How does that shape the trajectory of your life? Is he just God of your fathers? You know, we're relying on the religion of my forefathers and what my dad did and it's not personal to me. Or is he Lord, but we don't have that closeness with him. We haven't surrendered everything to him. It, our prayer life is empty. We don't have that power in our life. But most importantly, is he your father? And do you get to have that closeness and that relationship with him? He has so much more than we can ever obtain And it's all there in scripture. And it's just a matter of us digging a little bit deeper and get to know some of these names. He's my comforter, he's my healer. He's my redeemer, he's my savior. There are, you can go upon names upon names. And I love some of the songs that we get to sing that when we can get those names of God in there and how personal, they should never just be words that we sing. They should never just be words that we say. We need to make sure that it's personal in our heart of who God is, and it will shape the trajectory of your life, and it will make a significant impact. And it's not only on you, it's upon your family. We need to see God for who he really is, and the power of what he can do in shaping our lives. We miss so much because we are so lackadaisical and so lazy about how we go about our study and how we go about our relationship. We fit him in when we can instead of putting him first. You know, Scripture promises us that if we seek him, he will be found. He's not hiding on us. We just can't be bothered most of the time to find him. And he's waiting to be wanted Are you searching for him tonight? Are you looking for him? Are you wanting that personal relationship with him? Pastor?
0: Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. God, is what you are. The altar is open even now. I wrote this thought down while Brother Judge is speaking. You cannot exalt a God you create, but you can enjoy the God exalted in the Bible. Are you enjoying that He is mercy? Are you enjoying that He is grace? We we make up other things because it fits into what we need. But are you enjoying Him for who He is? Do you know Him tonight? Maybe there's one here, say, preacher, I don't know this God that was presented tonight. Well, you must come to him through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We had sinned against this God. We had lost our way. And the payment of that, or the punishment of that sin was death. But you couldn't afford that. So Jesus paid the price for you. He died, he paid the price, he shed his blood. Then he rose again to prove that he was God. And if those would come today, anybody that would come, whosoever will, the Bible says, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek the forgiveness of your sins, then you can know the Father. You'll be reconciled to God. You'll get to know all about he who is grace and mercy and love. Is so one, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I won't call you out. Would you slip up your hand tonight? Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Is there one?